human knee. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime and knee. Hello and welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of Crimony. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange, and we're gonna tell you some fucked up shit. Probably. Probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so, uh, yeah, life's been busy. So I don't know how like coherent or right. well, we compelling can just like, do a disclaimer is. in front of every episode. Disclaimer, disclaimer, we are unpaid. We do not, we are flying by the seat of our pants every time. So, you know. Well, especially like this week in the past month, it's been bumpy. uh, I'm going to say that we we make that announcement every episode. So (laughs) I'm going to say it's been a bumpy road for the past year and a half. And I think everyone is experiencing that in their life. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, especially <laughs> now more than ever, it's going to be even bumpier because there's a lot going on in life. So I'm doing what I can, and it's not much, but... You know what? At least you put in the effort. That's all I can do. That's right. That's all I'm saying. I put, I did try. I did. And I didn't try that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. So I got my information from Wikipedia... Uh, a Fortune magazine article and a TV show on Netflix called Trial by Media. Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, the show was really good. <laughs> this probably won't be so good. Okay. <laughs> just go watch the show. Okay. <laughs> I didn't proofread Everyone, this at all either. Just, I'm like really doing not right. great this Just week. turn the episode off. Go watch the show of what would you, what did you say it was? It's called Trial by Media. Okay, go watch it's Trial episode by- number. I don't know what. Well, but- good luck finding it. Watch <laughs> all the episodes and uh, just don't even worry about listening to our podcast anymore. <laughs> I'm seriously at the point where I just want to retell TV shows because I'm like, but I don't even have time to like watch TV. Yeah. Okay. okay so here we go. Okay. Bear with me. Richard M. Scrushy was born August. Some day in August of 1952 mm. in Selma, Alabama. He was the he is the son of a middle class family. His father, Gerald Scrushy, worked as a cash register repairman. Whoa, very specific. <laughs> and his mother, Grace, worked as a nurse and respiratory therapist. Okay. At an early age, he taught himself to play the piano and guitar Whoa. and was earning money doing odd jobs by the time he was 12 years old. Damn. So okay. he's like a hard worker. Hustler. He then went. Mm-hmm. Okay. He attended school until he was 17 and he dropped out before he graduated from high school and got married. I mean, he made it pretty far. I, I just feel like he can't make it that far. Eh, it's like. You know what? Nobody, do you really need to get married? Do you really like, need school? a high school degree? Yes, you do. Oh. I feel like you need at least a high school. Look, everyone these days has like PhDs and whatever the fuck. Like, <laughs> it's That's so hard saying. to compete. Like, even if you have a PhD, you can't even get a job. So, what no, does it you matter? get like an entry level. 
uh, must have job entry level get, job that you minimum need, wage, that you need three years experience, in, three years experience, minimum wage, minimum wage, no benefits. And, you have uh, to work overtime, but we won't pay you for overtime. Right. It's also a gig, like yeah, yeah, no benefits. You're a contractor, You're a contractor, so you gotta pay your own taxes and stuff. Good luck supporting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, God bless America. Mm-hmm. So Richard soon found himself living in Selma, in a trailer park and working manual labor jobs to support his family. After he had like an issue with his boss, he quit his job hauling cement and decided to return to school. Okay. He got his GED and his mom was like, you should do respiratory therapy because that's what I do. And he was like, all right. And so he started going to the community college. After a year there, he transferred to a different community college and then later got into the respiration therapy program at University of Alabama at Birmingham. Hmm. After graduating, he was offered a position teaching at the university, which I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Where he was promoted to director during his two and a half year tenure. Damn. Okay. So they're so like desperate no for teachers is, out yeah, there. Yeah. Either no one is taking those classes. So he's like the only option. You're like, or... they're like, oh, we just need a warm body to like be in the class because we know that you like, just graduated. You literally graduated, just learned this. So, so you good can enough. teach it now. You know the stuff. You don't have like experience or anything, but. You can read, right? Here's then, the book. Read along. Like, I, I guess it wasn't this way before, or maybe it's not like this in Alabama. I'm not sure. But I thought, like, in order to teach at a university, you had to be, like, you had to have a PhD. Um, apparently not. <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. I could be misinformed. I don't know. So, Richard then divorced his wife. Although that they makes had... a lot more sense now that I'm thinking about it. What? Uh, you don't need any kind of degree to be teaching in Alabama <laughs> in the university level. Well, he did. He got his. Okay. You don't need a teaching degree or a PhD in the subject or like. I don't even know. Like he graduated from that specific program and then turned and around like, good and enough. started teaching it. Good enough. You don't need life experience. <laughs> I don't know. You want. You I don't got even know. It. Like. You got good grades. Was it like an, You're fine. Right. Was it like an AA program? Was it a BA program? Was it, you know, who, who fucking knows? knows. <laughs> Look, the times were different in the 60s. I mean, are they, people were are just they doing really whatever the hell they wanted. Than, uh, okay. I'm saying people were doing like whatever the hell. Yeah. It's pretty much the now same. Now I think they're, I don't know. Anyway. People are doing whatever the hell. <laughs> yes, but are we getting hired as teachers doing whatever the hell? Maybe in Alabama. So. Maybe. I, like I said, <laughs> different state. Mm-hmm. What's going on? I could have looked it up, but I didn't. So. Richard divorced his wife. They had had two children. Uh, then he like became a teacher at the community college mm-hmm. campus. And there he met and married his second wife, Karen Brooks. Oh. And together they had four children. Wow. Okay. Well, he. Four children. So he has two children with so his first got wife, six four kids. children with his second. He's got six fucking kids. Oof. In the late 70s, after he taught at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and that community college, he was offered a position with Lifemark Corporation, which was a Houston, Texas-based healthcare company. Okay. Within a few years, I know, it's like, 
maybe respiratory therapy. Maybe we need to move to Alabama. We can just get, we can just be like, we have a degree. Let us be teachers and then hire us on to other things. I can teach. Yeah, I can write on a chalkboard. I can recite things. Yes, but I don't think we'd get hired because I feel like we actually both have life experience. Are overqualified. (laughs) With our degrees. So yeah, I feel like we might be a little overqualified. (laughs) In, oh yeah, I just said, okay. So he, within a few years of being hired at LifeMark, he was part of a $100 million operation that included the pharmacy, physical rehabilitation, and hospital acquisition divisions. I guess they were buying up hops, hops, hopsicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Hospital. you pronounce it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, maybe I'm not ready to teach yet. Okay. You're almost there. Once you can pronounce hospital, <laughs> you're ready. That's all you need. You need that degree, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then hospital. Hospital. While working at LifeMark, Richard moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where he worked as the regional director of the Respiratory Therapy Division. He then moved to Houston, where he became the company's chief operating officer. I don't really even know what respiratory therapy is. It's breathing. I should have looked up that one. Is it like teaching people? To breathe? (laughs) They do. You have to learn how to breathe. Like we breathe incorrectly. I feel like that's part of the reasons why we have so many digestive you. issues. We do as a family. As a family, we never learned how to we're breathe. Just not good breathers. Look, we have risk. major anxiety disorder and we have digestive issues. It's because we're not breathing properly. Okay. Well, don't let everyone know about our wonderful qualities. <laughs> Jeez. What you don't um, find them charming? Uh, charming, like yeah. With air at all times and We're anxiety. Just constantly flatulent. Our tummies hurt a little bit, especially after milk, and uh, we're shaking a little bit from the anxiety that we always feel. <laughs> I always have like a knot in my stomach that gives me a stomachache. <laughs> so it says respiratory therapists care for patients who have trouble breathing, for example, from chronic respiratory disease such as asthma or emphysema. So, yeah, like working on like a breathing coach. People learn how to breathe. Okay, cool. Seems pretty simple. In, out, in, out. In I mean, nose, yeah, maybe he was prepared mouth. to teach after that. He like learned how to I breathe. I feel like and I'm prepared to teach. To teach it. To well, join a program. You'll get hired as a teacher right after graduation. Shit. Well, I got to go. I have to go sign up for. Look, I don't know that you're ready to teach it, though, because like I said, you don't breathe properly and neither do I. Well, that's part of learning, being a student, you know, you learn it and then you become a professional in two years and then you can teach it to other people. That's right. Okay. So still working at LifeMark, Richard Scrushy devised a plan for an outpatient diagnostic and rehabilitative health clinic chain. Chain. He presented the plan to LifeMark, but the company was like, uh, we're already merging with American Medical International, so we don't have any more resources to put into your health clinic chain. So he was like, fine. Peace out, bitches. <laughs> he left in 1983 and founded Amcare, Inc. Uh-oh. within a year. The new company opened its first facility in Little Rock, Arkansas, and had initial capital between $50,000 and $70,000. Okay. That's a 
good initial investment in the early 80s. I just don't I mean, like when now, I just but... don't feel like any company should start with am yes. anything yes. because that sounds I like agree. that screams scam to me. Right? <laughs> like Amway, yep. Amcare, Amtrak. <gasps> Why are you guys always fucking late? <laughs> Why are you late? Are these even real trains? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I don't know. They do not keep a tight ship. So, <laughs> it's a tight train. The, they don't have ships. They do not keep a tight train. There we go. <laughs> Loose trains Loose all trains. day. <laughs> Shit's off the tracks. <laughs> Enough of the train talk. Mm. With the assistance of four partners from Amcare Inc. and a one million dollar investment by Citigroup Venture. Oh, sorry, Citicorp. Venture capital, when people have corp in the name, that also Amcorp. makes you think of like uh, like superhero, like supervillain. Oh, okay. <laughs> Little Dr. Evil. Yeah, something like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> corp just feels evil to me. I don't know why. <laughs> so Richard Scrushy took the growing company and he founded Health South Corporation in 1984. Two years after its founding, Health South became a publicly traded company, okay. which is moving really quickly. Yeah. Usually, companies don't get publicly traded for a while. The next year, Health South expanded into two new fields workers' compensation and sports medicine, allowing the company to double its earnings and obtain assets close to $100 million. Oh, dang. I mean, shh. This is for like three a, years in business. For a breathing coach, he sure knows how to run a business. It's because he's breathing properly. That could be it. Just think of what we could all be capable of if we actually breathed. Now I'm thinking about breathing and I'm afraid that I'm not breathing. You're not doing it properly, so. I feel like I can't get enough air, but then I'm going to hyperventilate yeah. and pass out. No, just breathe deeply into your belly. I can't. Yeah, you can. I'm gonna coach you my, through this. My belly Look. is full of farts and like <laughs> and tummy aches. I can't do it. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Why are you giving away all our secrets? <laughs> You're the one who made it weird. <laughs> oh, I'm the one that made it weird. Okay. <laughs> By the early 1990s, the company had expanded even more with facilities in all 50 states. Damn. And revenue in excess of $181 million. Oh, shit. Yeah, they're killing it. In 1996, Richard Scrushy divorced his second wife, Karen. Sad. Sad. Over the next decade. She's fine. She's getting nice alimony. Hopefully. (laughs) All four kids. Oh, well. Over the next decade, Health South's sports medicine programs received international attention by being linked to star athletes, including, get ready, because I know you know these guys. All right. I love those ball players. Bo Jackson, they're sportsers. It doesn't uh-huh. have to be ball sports. Bo it could be any Jackson. kind of sports. That sounds Bo Jackson. Like some kind of, I don't even know. Well, Bo actually served as the president of Health Sports Health South's Sports <laughs> Medicine Council. <laughs> uh, Roger Clemens. Oh, see, these all Jack sound like they might Nicholas. be like singers or something. Kyle Pe- Petty. See, yeah, these are all musicians, right? 
Well, okay. Sportsters? These two I know you know. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. And Shaquille O'Neal. Sportsers. The big, the big talls. Big tall guys. And then Lucio Carlos Cajario Sousa. Of course. The one and only ball player. Okay, I'm done with my sports team. <laughs> we're over it. Okay, next. <laughs> At its height, Health South employed more than 50,000 physicians. Wow. It was the nation's largest provider of outpatient surgery and rehabilitative and diagnostic health care services. It had over 2,000 facilities in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Australia, and the U.K. Damn. Yep. Health South facilities worldwide saw more than 120,000 patients daily with earnings around $106 million in 1997. Holy shit. Richard Scrucci was the third highest paid CEO in the U.S. Whoa. So he is making bank. The Health South complex uh, was built on 74 acres. They had like a whole campus before the, like, I didn't really realize that businesses had like campuses until like the whole Google campus yeah. and like, you know, where it's like campus yeah, culture, school, cool it, whatever. But I, he had one of 74 acres. Shit. He had it built to like very detailed specifications at the rear of the enormous headquarters <laughs> lobby is a Richard Scrucci museum. That's right. He had his own museum made all about him. What is even in the museum? Well, there preserved behind glass oh are the childlike poster paper scrawlings depicting men pulling a wagon what? that Scrucci used to rally mean? his staff around what? his concept for building a national chain of outpatient clinics to treat orthopedic injuries. The fuck does a man pulling a wagon have to do with that? If a child drew <laughs> it, I'm not clear, but he had it framed and he loved it. Um, okay. Then also on the wall was the company's first lease signed by Scrooge, and there behind museum rope was a plaque that explained, quote, the boardroom and office of the chairman is exactly as it was in 1984 when Mr. Scrooge founded the company. Okay. Well, this is a shitty-ass museum. There's a scribbling of a man and dra dragging a wagon. And that's a, a children-like like, scribbling poster. Hey, this office has not been touched since we made it. And well, they they like re yeah they like had you could see the office and it had photos of the kids on the credenza Ew. and a personalized Health South coffee mug on the desk. On the conference table is a book with a cover that reads "How I Changed the Rehab Industry" by Richard M. Scrooge. Well, I just can't wait to know what's in the gift shop at the end of this museum. <laughs> Do you want a poster now? Yeah, I want the wagon poster. <laughs> Me too. And a mug. So inspirational. <laughs> okay, he also often piloted his company jet. What? He made a CD with his own honky-tonk band. Well, he was a musician as a child, but a jet, how the fuck is he learning how to fly? Are they teaching that at the community college where he could probably, he probably was a, a professor of flying? <laughs> Well, he passed his class. He's and like, he I've been, I've been it. up in an airplane before. I could definitely teach how to fly. 
for sure. Look, I got my GED. Like, I could do anything. I'm set. Um, And then he also, like, had all these celebrities, like, promote his place. But he, he had playing... his own, like, band. He wanted to be, like, say, country I, music star. I bet that he's playing his honky-tonk music in his jet when he's flying around. I bet that's playing in the museum. Oh, Like, yeah. over the speaker. Yeah. Yeah, in the TV show... In the TV show, there's like a like a clip of him with his band, like acting like a rock star. Oh my god! Okay. Okay. In 1997, his pay, including cashed in options, totaled for one year mm-hmm. 106.8 million dollars. In 1997. Shit! I gotta draw myself up a picture of a man pulling a wagon because apparently <laughs> that that's the uh, the magic. You got to rally everyone around it. What is that called when you're like make a little altar and you're like, you know, like making like not praying, but like giving, uh, God, I can't think of English. Conjuring. Conjuring. Like, yeah, you know, like you got a little thing that you do rituals around and then that like creates your whatever you want. Yeah. Does that make sense? Manifesting. Manifesting. Your talisman. Yes. What do you say? Something like that. <laughs> You're not ready to teach. I'm clearly not ready to do anything. <laughs> okay. In 1997, he married his third wife, Leslie Ann Jones. He chartered a plane to fly 150 guests to Jamaica what? and hired Bob Marley's widow to perform. <laughs> what? In a letter accompanying the invitation, he said, The poverty of this third world country allows us to realize how blessed we are. So let's go party in the third world country on our private jet. and uh, What a fucking dick, right? Yeah. yeah. Gross. In Birmingham, he was often referred to as King Richard. Ew. He... Wasn't King Richard the bad one? Well, his name's Richard, so I, know, but I don't think still. that they... Yeah, I feel like King Richard was the bad one. I mean, a bad Weren't they one. all They're, the yeah, bad ones? Yeah, I was like, a bad one, not the bad one, a bad one. I mean, like, rule over people, it's like never a good vibe. <laughs> no. So he had this idea to build a big league sports stadium, but he kind of, like, led to his own undoing around it because he told journalists that he had the backing of the little people. What? The fuck? And people were like, what the Does fuck? No. That he just thought he was King Richard. <sighs> At this time, Health South was huge. It was in all 50 states. Like I said, the company had nearly 70% of the rehab market. Damn. He was donating money to charities. He had streets named after him Jeez. and a library named after him, too. He bought four houses, had 10 boats. Oh, my 10 God. 10 boats. What about how, how including many? Including a 90. How many wagons? <laughs> Just the drawing of the <laughs> <Dang>. wagon. <laughs> yeah, including a 92 foot luxury yacht. You know how I feel about those yachts. Ugh. Over 30 cars. Why? Including two Rolls Royces and two him. Hummers. Mm-hmm. He had art by Picasso, Renoir, and Miro. Of course. And he and Leslie had three children. Okay, so now he's at nine children. Jesus. Insane. So insane. Okay, so that's like obscene wealth, Yep. right? Yep. 
Also, you guys, let's all stop with the boats and the cruise ships <sighs> and shit. You're ruining the ocean yeah. for the whales. Yeah. Just knock it off. Everyone just, just stop it. trade I, in your boat for a wagon. You'll be happy. Look, You'll get a multi-million dollar company. It's all about the wagon. I read recently that a cruise ship pollutes as much as like 100 million cars. Hmm. So can we not? Can, can you just not? Yeah, can we please not? <laughs> he was also known as a taskmaster and a micromanager, oh, which is always great. fun. He, uh, in the first eight years, he opened a bunch of clinics and he centralized every piece of data imaginable. So like all of it was coming to him. Mm. Every Friday, a stack of printouts detailing the performance of each facility landed on his desk. And when any of them had a problem, he dealt with it. <laughs> so. I'm sure he was a nightmare to work for. <laughs> oh, God, yes. So basically, he's like a killer businessman. And Wall Street was all over it. Top fund managers loaded up on health. Health South stock, which rose at an annual rate of 31% between 1987 and 1997. Wow. And Richard Scrooge did what he could to sustain the momentum. He rarely missed an investment conference. He flew into a blizzard oh. for one at a Utah ski oh. resort one time. What? He handled much of his company's investors' relations personally, and he always made it a point to meet or beat Wall Street's earning expectations. Gotta meet or beat it. You gotta meet or beat it. <laughs> so everything looks amazing from the outside, right? He's rich as fuck. His business is always doing well. Mm -hmm. Stock is constantly on the rise. Like I'm saying he's he sold like his soul to the stocks. devil or something because I don't know how. Well... How that's Get all happening. ready. Okay. I'll tell you how it's uh. all happening. Ethical and financial questions began to arise as early as 1989. Mm -hmm. An internal auditor alleged that he was fired for drawing attention to Health South's financial problems ooh, ooh. and that he was pressured to meet certain earning targets. <sighs> Two years later, in 1991, Health South was accused by Medicare of illegally adding costs to reports for outpatient physical therapy and inpatient rehabilitation. <sighs> admissions at the corporation's Bakersfield Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh-oh. In 1998, Medicare changed its funding arrangements in an attempt to reduce exploitation and payments by $100 billion. Holy shit. Scrooge insisted that the change didn't affect Health South's bottom line, but profits dropped by 93% uh, by the end of the year. That's huge. Yeah, huge. Around the same time, Health South began facing additional accusations of fraud. An investigation by the insurance company Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Alabama determined that Health South had improperly billed Medicare for therapy by students, interns, athletic trainers, and other unlicensed aides. What? Additional lawsuits allege Health South had committed widespread abuse of Medicare by billing for services it never provided, delivering poor care, Treating patients without a formal plan of care and using unlicensed therapists. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it just sounds like the American healthcare system as it is right now. Yes, but you just can't get caught for abusing the system. Oh, yeah. 
That's the trick. That's the trick, yeah. In March 2003, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, filed a civil suit against Richard Scrushy and Health South, alleging the company had falsified at least $2.7 billion worth of profits between oh. 1996 and 2002. Wow. Wow. Health South agreed to pay the U.S. government $325 million on December 30th, 2004, in order to settle allegations that the company defrauded Medicare and other federal health care pro- programs. Uh-uh. On February 6, 2003, the FBI announced that it had begun a criminal investigation relating to the trading of shares of Health South Corporation and possible securities laws violations. A criminal complaint was filed by the FBI against Health South's chief financial advisor, Weston Smith, and civil charges brought against Scrushy by the SEC on November 4th, 2003. So it's all falling apart. Scrushy's initial charges included 85 counts of conspiracy, money laundering, securities fraud, and mail fraud. Uh. <laughs> but he was ultimately indicted on just 36 counts. Only 36 counts. Only. In the indictment, Scrooge was accused of using intimidation, threats, and cash payments to coerce top Health South executives into committing fraud. These top executives called themselves the family and referred to creative accounting as filling the gap. Uh, creative accounting. Yes, creative accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. The group attempted to hide the false earnings by illegally inflating balances of accounts such as fixed assets and estimated insurance reimbursements. Five chief chief financial officers pled guilty and agreed to testify against Richard Scrushy. Wow. So this is where the trial stuff, the episode kind of takes over. So he hired a lawyer called, because obviously he's not going to admit to any fraud. I'm surprised he, he's not being his own lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's smart. I mean, he is smart enough to know that he can't be his own lawyer for this one. So, I mean, 63 counts or whatever. 36 counts. It's kind of mm, risky. Yeah, that's, oh, yikes. His, so initially he like hired these really expensive lawyers from like, like New York or Washington or, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere. And they were like, he had like this whole team of like really expensive lawyers. And they were like, just stay out of the media. You don't want to talk to anyone, like stay out of the media. And he was like, what? I did nothing wrong. Like it doesn't feel right to stay out of the media. So he fired them. Oh my God. Then he hires this guy named Daniel Watkins. He's a lawyer from Alabama. And he was like, you need to be all over the media because if we can win this case in the media, we can win this case. Yeah. So Donald Watkins, since he's from Alabama, he's got like the local Southern drawl. <laughs> he like knows all the local places. He's like, he's like, I he went to like junior. All those, co- like, I went to junior college for two years to get my law degree, and I now I'm a professor of law. And I taught. I'm a professor. <laughs> and he, he was like really clever about how he was gonna, how he's gonna do this because he's like in Alabama. You got to talk to the people. You got to be from Alabama. Mm-hmm. You can't be having these like New York people come in and like talk down to you. You know, like yep. no one's going to like that. He also knew 
that the white community in Alabama was already really against Richard Scrooge and they felt like that he had like used them and lost all their money mm. and like they're very mad. But the black community didn't have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So he encouraged Scrooge to join the Guiding Light Church, oh, which was a predominantly God. black church. Guiding so Scrooge, he approached the pastor and he was like, God told me to come here because I need my family and me need a safe place to worship. And he just like guided me here. And the pastor was like, oh, yes, of course. Like, mm-hmm. come on in. We all need somewhere to worship. Sure. And then Scrooge said, he's also interviewed in the show. He said that he felt that the congregation understood the persecution he and his family faced. It's like, do not compare your fraud and persecution to the persecution of like slaves. Yeah. uh, And then their descendants, like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? On what planet are you anywhere near like the same persecution level that. Like yeah, these... you're the white man who's rich as fuck taking advantage of everyone. Yeah. Like, yep. Ew, piece of what shit. What the fuck? He is. So he and his wife then went really deep into scripture, he said. He started preaching at the at the different, like, churches. So, like, before, he had had a charitable foundation. Like I said, he would give to charities. But he used to donate to places like museums and symphonies. His and, own like, museum. <laughs> rich people <laughs> and rich people shit, you know? And then the his lawyer was like, you know, charity's good, but there are a lot of like churches here in Alabama that have never seen that kind of money and could really use it. So maybe if you want to like redirect your charitable donations, yeah, he's so like, oh yeah, churches can have golden steeples. I was inspired. Yeah, feeding hungry people. So he was inspired to go to poorer churches mm-hmm. in Birmingham and speak and then give them money. Mm-hmm. So obviously they're going to be like, yeah, come speak and then yeah. write us that check, please. Then he bought a TV show. That's right. He bought his very own TV show called Viewpoint, where people could give their own side of the story. Because, you know, it's not fair that the media is like putting all this stuff out there about him and he has like no recourse. So he had to buy his own TV show. Look, all he's guilty of is having fabulous wagons and... yeah. And gold, <laughs> gold, gilded wagons. Or gilded wagons. That's right. <laughs> and beautiful paintings of wagons. Yeah. It was also a religious talk show. Of course. So the other thing that this lawyer knew is that Alabama is very religious. Yep. So the jury pool is going to be very religious. Right. So Scrooge wasn't religious before, but he sure as hell is religious now. Oh, he has so he's found on his talk Jesus. show. He found Jesus just the nick of time, I'll tell you. <laughs> he had his TV show with his wife, and they'd both sit there and, like, interview people and talk about, like, Bible passages Ew. and, you know, do their whole, like, Bible bullshit. <laughs> so then his lawyer was probably like, oh, we need someone else, you know, because this is a really big case. You need, like, as many people on as you can. So then he hired a lawyer called, named Jim Parker to co-defend. Mm-hmm. He was also an Alabama lawyer, very low profile. He hadn't had any major cases. I guess he had like done DUI cases, like okay. like nothing big. So they hired him and then he was like, yeah, they sent us like the prosecution sent us like millions of pieces of like evidence or whatever for us to go through. And they like, he was like, there's no definitive proof that Richard Scrooge knew what the CFOs were doing. Mm-hmm. So they were going to claim that the CFOs were making all those decisions and of he course. was just like ignorant of it all. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the prosecution. he doesn't have time. He's making his honky-tonk music and pulling wagons around. You think he's got Even time to know what they're doing? he ran his Amtrak with the tight train situation, tight train. that Amtrak should be running their trains. Yeah, but nope. He, uh, he has no idea what's going on. He had, like, everything funneled to him. Even though he, he had people dragging in wagon loads of paperwork. and They were knew. dragging in those wagons. <laughs> he knew what was going on at each place specifically all yeah. the time. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he would deal with problems himself. Okay. So the prosecution was presenting their case of fraud that caused people to lose their life savings because mm-hmm. people were, like, you know, buying stock and investing in this company that was just, like, all – it was, like, an Enron situation, oh. right? It's, like – this money is just going to him. Mm-hmm. Scrooge was super greedy and he wanted the business to grow too fast. So he told his financial officers that he didn't want to report that the company fell short of its projected earnings and that they needed to do something about it. They had no choice but to commit fraud. Oh, They had to okay. fill in the gaps, oh, you know? Yeah, no, it's not their no, fault. No, no, the pro- that's what the prosecution is oh, saying. Oh, that, oh. That, <laughs> okay, yeah. That's the case, yeah, that, yeah. that he wanted it to grow really fast and... He basically told them, like, figure it out. And they were like, well, we don't really have a choice, but we got to do it this way. Some creative accounting. So, unfortunately, though, the prosecutors, their case was, like, a bunch of legal jargon. It was all about, like, what it means to commit fraud. They had all these, like, legal documents. And the lawyer was like, I was falling asleep. I look over the jury. They're falling asleep. Like, no one can follow this bullshit. Like, People don't give a shit about like all these legal pages. So, the so that was like, like oh, the prosecution's like, big mistake. Yeah, like what are they even talking about? This guy's just he just has wagons and he donates to churches and he has like he has a TV show so he's got to be like yeah, legit. He's a god-fearing man. Yeah, so I don't know what mm-hmm. your problem is. And he's donating is. to everyone like all the churches mm-hmm. and So then um the CFOs they took the stand one, they said that Health South never reported true numbers because they had to meet Wall Street expectations. So they were always just like reporting like, oh, yeah, sure. We like definitely made that like our projected earnings. We surpassed them this time. Like, look Shit. at that. By the summer of 1996, Health South missed their projected profits really badly. So two of the CFOs went to Scrooge's office. They were like bracing themselves because they knew it was going to be really bad to have to tell them like they uh-huh. lost a bunch of money. He told them, he like yelled at them. He got really angry and he said that they were not going to report bad numbers. And he told them to get the numbers where they needed to be. What? So the CFOs are saying this was like the first time that they actually fudged the numbers. Uh And then from then on, that set a precedent where they could never have bad numbers. Right. Because you already reported at this high. So then you can't go lower than that ever. Uh, Yeah. And around this time, Scrooge bought his first yacht. A good gift to myself for my successful business. And then the prosecutor said that the fraud was so bad that they were paying more in taxes than they were actually making. Fuck. Also, I'm just picturing his first yacht looks like a uh, wagon. <laughs> a big red. What is those? What are those? It's wi- called the fly- wagon. Red, what are those called? The flyer. Flyer red. Yeah, they're flyers. Flyer. Yeah. Flyer wagon. The red one. Yeah. 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 Radio flyer. Oh, I go. was thinking like all those old like. Covered wagon. You know? <laughs> no. Do you remember that like weird little like porcelain donkey thing that grandma had? And it had like the little wooden wagon that it pulled behind it. Yeah. That's the kind of wagon I'm picturing. Uh, Just like a little wooden. 
donkey wagon. A donkey wagon. See, and I was just picturing like a radio flyer, little red wagon, tin wagon. Ah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You could just pull around. Funny, I well, wonder. his would be gilded, not red, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like a heavy-ass wagon. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's like gold leaf. Oh, it's not like actual right? gold carved wagon. Uh, well, it, I don't know. It'd be a soft. I don't have a golden wagon. It would be too I don't know. Soft, too malleable. But okay, except for if it's thick enough, though, because I don't think that gold bricks are getting like dented, right? They seem pretty well, sturdy. I don't know about you, but I've never personally seen a gold brick. <laughs> I'm going based off of movies because okay. they're probably not even using real gold <laughs> <Yeah>. bricks, but. <laughs> My understanding is they're really heavy and... Yeah, they're probably really heavy. Yeah. I feel like they don't get banged up a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Next time I yeah. encounter a gold brick, I'll see if I can scratch it with my nail. Try and hit it with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> so it's all about the stock market and hitting numbers. So I don't really understand like completely how the stock market works except for I think that they are just basically like look how good our company is doing we're making all this money and then it keeps the prices of the stock high yeah. and then more people who invest in the stock the more the company makes well, like the, the higher the cost of the stock then the more people believe in the business and the more the business makes yeah well it seems like it's worth a lot more money and then the investors are getting paid right. out and they're getting money, right. so then they are... Then you get the, more investors. Yeah, because then and, they want... Everyone yeah. wants to get a piece of your business. Right. So the one of the lawyers, Jim, he decided to go with, like, the underdog. He was like, everyone loves an underdog. Everyone roots for an underdog. I'm going to make Richard Scrooge look like the underdog. Oh, God. So they planned on making each of the CFOs who testified out to be liars <gasps> so that they couldn't be trusted... And that they'd be like, well, see, if they were lying in their lives, they were clearly lying to Richard Scrooge. Like, mm -hmm. how is he supposed to know? He can't tell if someone's lying to him oh, or whatever. Geez. I don't know. One of the CFOs was a longtime friend of Richard Scrooge mm -hmm. and one of the founding members of Health South. Uh oh. After some digging, they. So he, so the lawyer was like, this guy, I was like, he was the one I was most worried about because he actually knew the real Richard Scrooge. Mm -hmm. So he was like, you know, they had been friends forever. So, so he's like, we had to get some dirt on him. So they found out that he had had a girlfriend. He was like married and he had like this affair. Of course he did. He even hired his girlfriend at the company. Of course. So they proved he was like a liar for a long time because mm -hmm. he like had this girlfriend. So clearly if he's lying about, you know, having a girlfriend to his wife, then he's clearly lying to Scrooge about the numbers. Mm -hmm. And then it was really sad though because they interviewed him too and he was like, like I knew we were doing something wrong. I admitted to it. I lost literally everything. Everyone found out that I had had this affair. Like people were mean to like my daughter at her job. It was really awful. And then Scrooge like... Like, whatever. He didn't... He was fine. And then um, the lawyer was like, oh, I felt really bad about doing it. Like, I actually really liked him. I thought he was a really good guy. But, you know, when you're a lawyer, it's you all have about to... Winning your and case. people are trying to tear down your... Your... Client. Defendant. Your client. Then you have to tear them down first. Yeah. It was like, wow. So it's, brutal. It was brutal. So Richard Scrooge also had a group of black ministers come to court 
and like support him and then they like pray together during breaks oh, and then they like pray in front of the court like at the end of the day at the beginning of the day because he was really trying to like he like infiltrated this community mm-hmm. this like religious community and he transformed himself they were like this was crazy that he was able to transform himself and become part of this group of oppressed people yep to look like he himself was an oppressed person when he was the oppressor. Yeah, it's clever. So clever. And it was really sad, though, because the the pastor of one of the churches, he was like, yeah, people were, like, constantly, like, don't you think he's just using you? Like, he's coming to your church, and he's just, like, basically using you. How does that feel? And he was like, well, we had some real heart-to-hearts, and I think that it's, like, really messed up that you would assume that I wouldn't be able to tell if someone was using me or not. Like, I know he was a genuine guy, and I it's mean, like— although at the same time, it's so like, bad for how you much because... are those pastors using him where it's like— oh, yeah, you can come join our congregation. You're going to give us a bunch of money so yeah. that we can fix up our stuff. And, like, we're not yeah. going to turn you away. You say that you've turned yourself to Jesus, so we'll op- we'll open our arms to you and our pockets so that you can fill it yeah. with, our, with the money. So, of course, we're going to defend you. You're helping right. us. <laughs> so one of the CFOs had worn a wire and recorded conversations that he had had with Ooh. Richard. He... He was on in on the fraud since the very beginning, and he was the one who really figured out how to fix the numbers initially. Scrooge claimed that he... So he came off really kind of sleazy on the stand, though. Like, people didn't really trust him, and their whole, their whole like, spin on it was that he wanted Scrooge's job, and he told people before, he was like, I'm, like, the smartest man in the room, and, like, I'm, like, fucking, like, whatever, whatever. So they made him come off as, like... It's just like really kind of narcissistic and just like had a really high opinion of himself. And so they were like, oh, he's the one. Like he fixed the numbers and uh-huh. he wanted Scrooge's job so bad that now uh. he's like going after him as like retaliation. Right. <laughs> and he's the one that actually hid the fraud from everyone, even Richard Scrooge. So okay. they did like a. These were like good lawyers. So the testimony lasted for 55 days. Holy Can you imagine shit. being on that jury and having to Ugh. go for 55 fucking days? God. Ugh. No. That would be so boring and so boring. Just boring. Yeah. So tedious. <laughs> they deliberated for more than a month. I just, I, Okay. You're the per- you started this business. It's your business. You have your hands in everything. You clearly are like people are giving you their daily reports every day. You know what's going on. That's like absurd. Okay. Except for if the case is presented to you as a jury person who doesn't really have an understanding of like all this fraud and everything. Like I don't fucking know what's going on. I don't understand. I don't do stocks. Like I don't get the stock market. I don't get any of it. And the prosecution is talking to you like you understand it all and just like showing you page after page of like documentation where you're just like, I don't know what the hell this means. You're boring as fuck. And then the defense is just like, you know, like super exciting. And they're like talking to you like on your level. And I feel like, whenever, like the de- well, whenever the defense is talking, they like have a little boom box and they push play for his honky tonk music. So it like puts an ambiance out and his, but they, they, they do a little line like, dancing. <laughs> 
Yeah, they like played to the jury. And then he said that like he like the lawyer was like when I saw when the prosecution was going, they had like the glaze mm-hmm. look over their eyes. They were like not understanding anything. And then when I got up there, like I was engaging with them and I was like making them laugh. Yeah, and, that's like, the prosecution. We had like a good rapport. Because it's like it wouldn't be that hard yeah. to be like, hmm, let's let's just look real quick who's profiting, who has money yeah. in the bank, who is funneling yeah. money. Oh look! All this yeah. money is in Richard's account. Oh look! Or he's ask like all these things. employees. Yeah, ask employees like who aren't in Alabama. Be like, oh, did he ever talk to you? Yeah. Like, was he clearly like was he involved in every aspect everything? of the business? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, because then, like uh, during closing, I think the defense attorney was like, look, this man like started from a trailer park and they're just like, you know, he worked from the ground up and they're just making it seem like, oh, cause he made it. And he like, Richard Scrooge was like, you don't like work really hard and make a bunch of money to be like poor. You do it so you can buy like 30 cars and like whatever. So they were just like, oh, he's the underdog. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So on June 28th, 2005, the jury decided to... A quit no. Scrooge of all charges. Idiots. All charges. Shockingly, after that, he stopped going to church. Shocking. So shocking. He stopped interacting with the poor black community in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And his lawyer was like, you need to get the fuck out of town. Like, I don't even know how. <laughs> like, yeah, we won this thing, but we shouldn't have. And you mm-hmm. need to get the fuck out. Like, buy an island. Move away. Just get the fuck out. Like, you won leave he didn't and instead four months after his acquittal in Birmingham on October 26 2005 Richard Scrooge was indicted by a federal grand jury in Montgomery Alabama the indictment included 30 counts of racketeering money laundering extortion obstruction of justice and bribery of Alabama governor Don Siegelman Uh uh-oh Prosecutors claim that Scrooge agreed to pay over $500,000 of Siegelman's debt, which he accumulated during a failed attempt to bring a state lottery to Alabama in exchange for a seat on the Certificates of Need Review Board. The board serves the state by reviewing hospitals and approving their construction. Oh, okay, good. Uh-huh. So, uh... He's like, I'll pay your debts if you get me on this board to approve hospitals. That is so sketchy. So these charges were filed a month before the previous trial ended. Oh, my God. What a fucking so, idiot. Richard Scrooge's attorneys accused prosecutors of filing charges as retaliation for his acquittal. But it was, you know, filed before. And he tried to rehire his original attorneys. So he called his one attorney and he was like, I, I want to hire you. Like, I'm in trouble again. And then that attorney called the other original attorney. and he And this guy was like, in Miami, he was living it up. He was like, he was like, no, I would not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that you take this case. I'm not going to take it. Like we won, you won a major case. Yeah. Don't fucking try yeah. it again. So then he was like, so I told Richard Scrooge, like I maybe gave him like kind of a high amount that I wanted, like a high fee. Yeah. So Scrooge was like, well, I already saw how you won the last trial. I'll just hire my own lawyers and tell them like how you won the last one. And we'll just win this one. Okay. Good luck. Good so speaking luck. of being his own attorney, right? <sighs> so 
he found cheaper cheaper attorneys, <laughs> and then he was basically like, "Oh, I'll teach them uh-huh. how to try the well, case." Well, I mean, he had a trial before, so he's a professor now in law, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works in Alabama. So. He also gathered up his black minister group again to like come like, to church and pray bro, with him. You haven't been to church in like months. Well, you know, I mean, he was busy. He had to like live up, live it up, and like reacquire some of his lost possessions You're or whatever. Too busy I don't know. for so- Jesus. <laughs> That's fucked up. So he basically tried to replicate the original defense the way that his attorneys did it, but. He couldn't account for that charm that those attorneys had. Mm. They were just, like, really mm. good at their job. So Richard Scrushy and Siegelman pled not guilty to all charges, mm. but they were both convicted following oh. a trial that lasted about six weeks. Oh. Scrushy was convicted of bribery, conspiracy, and mail fraud, while Siegelman was convicted of bribery, conspiracy, mail fraud, and obstruction of justice. Whoopsies. While awaiting sentencing on March 29, 2007, Scrooge's probation officer filed a report claiming that he had violated the conditions of his bond by leaving Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida what? and traveling <laughs> to Palm Beach where he boarded a yacht and sailed to Miami. Uh. I don't know why he was allowed to go to Walt Disney World in the first place because fuck like, was that he, like, guy. Was he on house arrest in Walt in Disney World where he's like you well, have to then, stay in the most ha- on the happiest place on earth until your trial? No, because then after that, his probation officer suggested that he should be placed under house arrest and that he needed to wear a like an, a monitoring device at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then United States Magistrate Judge Charles Cootie. Cooties. Warned Scrooge that he would not tolerate any further deviations from the requirements the court was placed had placed on him, and he ruled that Scrooge must wear a GPS tracking device anytime he travels outside of Alabama. Yeah, he's a huge flight risk. He's got like thirty-seven cars, a hundred boats, yeah. a plane. Well, and he boarded a fucking yacht and <sighs> sailed elsewhere. Like what? Rules on don't June apply 28th, to him. Two thousand seven. Well, they don't until now. Mm. Scrooge was sentenced to six years and ten months in federal prison. Meh, he was ordered to pay two hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars in restitution to United Way of Alabama. He got three years probation and a fine of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He was also expected to personally pay for his time in prison and perform five hundred hours of community service. Mm. Siegelman was sentenced on the same day to seven years and four months in prison, restitution of $181,325 to the state, three years probation, and a $50,000 fine and 500 hours community service. U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller would later rule, however, that Siegelman would not be required to pay the restitution. I don't know why. That's bullshit. It was based on debts accumulated by the state of Alabama during a fraudulent warehouse deal, but Siegelman was acquitted on charges related to the deal. Upon sentencing, Scrooge and Siegelman were taken into custody, 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 and transported to a federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia, where they briefly shared a cell. Roommates. Oh, how is that not a conflict of interest? That they share a cell. Yeah. Well, they're in prison. What are they going to do? The one's not a fucking governor anymore. Well, I don't know. They're going to be making plans to escape or something in, in a covered wagon. They are. Uh, I don't think they're that crafty. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
In March 2009, a panel of three judges from the 11th U.S. Circuit Court upheld charges that Scrushy was dis- against Scrushy and dismissed two of the seven charges against Siegelman. A further appeal for a full court review of the case was also denied by the court. So he just like keeps appealing and they're like, uh, <laughs> no. Then he appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, geez. On June 29, 2010, the Supreme Court issued an order directing the appeals court to review the case in light of their ruling the previous week on the Honest Services Fraud Statute. So they're like, we're not going to rule on it. Um, They rejected his appeal, which allowed his uh, convictions to stand. Like, yeah, the Supreme Court doesn't give a fuck about you. They're not going to take that case. (laughs) Scrooge was returned to Alabama on May 7th, 2009 in order to testify in a new civil trial in Birmingham court. Former Health South investors had sued him seeking recompense for money lost due to fraud of which Scrooge was acquitted of in 2005. Mm-hmm. While opposing co- counsel claimed Scrooge was a hands-on manager who treated the company as a personal piggy bank. Mm-hmm. He continued to assign blame to his subordinates and mainly that he did nothing wrong. Oh, sorry, maintain that he did nothing wrong. Closing arguments were held in trial on May 27, 2009. On June 18, 2009, Judge Horn ordered Scrushy to pay $2.87 billion in damages. Oh, good. Judge Horn stated Scrushy knew of and actively participated in the fraud and referred to him as the CEO of the fraud. <sighs> as expected, he appealed, but he lost his appeal. So he was like... Oh, they're going to make me pay $200,000. I don't want to do that. And six years in prison, I'm going to get out of here. And then he's like, hey, let me out. And they're like, you're going to pay $2 billion now, bitch. No, 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 no. He appealed. This wasn't a criminal trial. The civil, this was a civil trial. Mm -hmm. So it's easier it's easier to prove a case in civil court as Mm -hmm. opposed to criminal court. So the investors sued him, basically. So this is a civil trial. So he does have to pay. All of his appeals were like denied. And then he also got sued on top of it all. Good. So according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons website, the 59-year-old Scrushy was moved in April 2012 from the federal prison in Beaumont, Texas, into a supervision of the Community Correction Management Field Office in San Antonio. Following his move to a halfway house, Scrushy was moved to home confinement and then on July 25th, 2012, was released from federal custody. Okay. And that's the case of Richard M. Scrushy. And now he is a consultant. You can hire him to consult with you on over what? your business. And he's also still like a pastor or something, I think. Great. Yeah, fun times. Did he actually pay the money? I it's unclear. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like I think after he was found guilty. Or while he was waiting for the verdict or something, at some point, the, like, people were let into his house to, like, buy, they were, like, auctioning. Auctioning off of, ah! (laughs) They were, like, auctioning off his things, and he was basically like, oh, it's so unfair, they were, like, selling all my stuff, and I couldn't do anything about it. It's like, what a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, stuff that you bought with money that wasn't yours. 
I think he's still married to his third wife, and she is just like, she's just like, I'm so lucky to be married to like Ew. the most wonderful man, and we're both like these God fearing people now. All of a sudden, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're fucking mm-hmm. awful. And yeah, gross. So. Well, super gross. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus, they're disorganized. Tossed salad. You know I love a fraudster. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know. He didn't, he didn't know. know. It wasn't his fault. Have you been to the museum? <laughs> didn't you see the wagon picture? Obviously, he's just a good guy. Yeah, he came from poverty. He just, salad. he's in a honky-tonk band. He's like relatable. He comes to your church. He wanted to be a superstar. Like he would have these conferences and he would like, you could just tell he wanted to be a superstar. They'd have like the lights go up and he'd like run out on stage and everyone would like applaud and he like uh, loved it. Well, I Seems mean. Seems like a real tool. He's just a persecuted man. He's a Never toss had a salad fair full shot. of tools. A, Never. a tossed salad full of tools. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you get a tossed salad and somehow there's like a random screw in it. <laughs> Yeah. I just there's some people who are just like really good at manipulating systems. Well, and especially when you're you're like, yeah, we'll just fudge these numbers, and then like it doesn't come back to you. So you're like, okay, well we'll just fudge more numbers, and like look now we're like everyone loves us, and we're like a multi like national bill uh, business that like we're in all 50 states and now like we're like the hit of wall street and we have all these assets and i've got all this stuff like it's working i don't well, have to said, be accountable for anything they said that like when he started he had like a really aggressive business plan and that's why everything moved so quickly because he knew exactly what he was doing so i feel like from the beginning he knew if the numbers didn't work he'd make them fucking work mm-hmm. and like nothing was going to get in the way of him owning 30 cars and 10 boats and a yacht like yeah. And a fucking Picasso. Nothing was getting in his way. <laughs> Ugh. What a douche bag. Yucky. Yup. Hate him. Yucky. Yes. Wow. Wow. Should we take a little break for a word from our sponsor? Hey, Ange. Have you noticed how wonderfully shiny my beard has been lately? Oh my God, you're like glowing. Oh, thank you. Well, I've been using Humble Bee Herbal's beard oil. They come in two different scents and I got both of them just to try them and I love them both. They keep my beard nice and soft and supple. Amazing. Mm. They smell amazing too. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I had a beard. Actually, I will have a beard someday because, you know, yep. Italian. Yep. But... I can't wait for my beard to come in so I can try beard oil. Well, when your beard comes in, I suggest Humble Bee Herbal's beard oil. It nourishes and uh, mm, looks so nice. No more funky beard <laughs> smell for you. Ew! 
what? <laughs> you are supposed to wash your beard, you know. <laughs> Don't Actually, just put oil in it. I do. I use Humble Bee Herbal shampoo bars for my head, my head hair, and my face hair. And nice. then I uh, finish it off with some beard oil. And, Very uh, nice. It's never looked better. I can better. tell. Mm. It looks amazing. Thanks. So uh, you should check out Humble Bee Herbal and get yourself some beard oil. And you too can be camera ready. Mm. Also in person ready. You won't stink. Oh, yeah. It's nice. So that's humblebeeherbal.com. Get yourself some beard oil. They also have mustache wax and um, aftershave, which is also really fucking nice. Or if you don't have a beard, you can also get their face serum is really lovely. It's like absorbs nicely and it's just all good stuff. So your, it, like your skin will thank you later. Oh, I was going to say, you look like you've been using some face serum. It's like, glowing. Like I was going to say, so Zachary's like not sleeping lately because he's been like up all night making music and he said that he went he like put the serum on and then went to class and his teacher was like wow like your skin looks really good it looks like you've been getting a lot of sleep and really taking care of yourself and he was like oh Oh, thanks I haven't been but great and I was like wow your skin does look really great and he's like oh it must be the the oils I was like yeah so get yourself some humble bee herbal uh what is it called Roy uh Royal Bee Facial Serum. Some Royal Bee Facial Serum from Humble Bee Herbal. Some beard oil. Get it all. Get Take care it. of yourself. That's humblebeeherbal.com. Humble with an H. B like the bug. Herbal like, you know. With an H herbs. also. Herbal. Herbal if you're British. Herbal. Humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMINE20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. And look as fabulous as we do. Okay. Sorry, I was burping. Oh, gross. My Such flatulence. I know. It's just like so much air. <laughs> Stop <laughs> swallowing all the air. I think that's what happens. I think I swallow it. I don't oh, you're I swallow like it the, like into my tummy. See, I don't breathe it I into think my lungs. You are like um what are they called? The bronchiocephalic dogs where their faces are smashed and they're very flatulent because they end up swallowing more air. Then, uh, have you not seen this honker? I've got like the biggest nose. I'm not like, I don't know about you, but I think we've got like deviated septums and like, oh, yeah, for sure, all kinds of weird shit going on on the inside. (laughs) So, you got this big ass nose, but inside is all fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) More room to be fucked up in there, (laughs) exactly. All kinds of issues in that honker (laughs) because I got it in mine for sure. Do you really think you have a deviated septum? Yeah. I can't breathe right. Huh. Huh. I feel like I've been getting really congested lately, but I just think it's because I live in a moldy house. Mold and California's on fire. so And uh, allergies mm-hmm. with all the pollen and stuff. Everything. And it's yeah, great. the smoky you know, air. We need to, oh, we yeah. need to learn to be respiratory therapists and we can learn to breathe. I think we do. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Then we got to start our own Med South, Health Ooh. South. MedCal. What are you going to buy with your $106 million one year salary? Well, first I got to get a gilded wagon. And then. Obviously. I think like. <laughs> to carry all your stuff, well, right? Yeah. And then Zephyr needs like um, a diamond encrusted collar. 
And Cute. Simon's going to need some bling for his collar as well. I feel like Zephyr could be like a pearl person too. She could be She's a pearl got like person. that like classy older lady vibes. <laughs> What's well, her deep voice that kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got like that husky, husky deep voice. voice. Yeah. Some pearls. <laughs> I yeah, can see I can that. See it. Maybe a fur coat or something, since her fur is so short. She probably needs. Because she doesn't a, have any a fur. Winter coat. Yeah. She's got to borrow some someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. So. Get her a little muff. Mostly, I would spend bum. it on fancying up my pets. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe like get myself a car that has air conditioning and oh, power yeah, steering yeah. and. You could probably get like. You know, 10 cars. Windows that you don't need to crank. Steering. You know, like the luxury things that I mean, take. You're, you might be shooting pretty high right pretty, now. I don't know. Pretty high. I don't know. I think I'll just stick to a like, wagon. Why are you putting on airs? Yeah, the wagon's mm-hmm. fine. I don't understand why you need AC in your car and no. power windows and steering. That's like. <laughs> it is asking a lot. <laughs> so, fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> All right. I got my information from Medium, K-I-R-O-7, BDTN line, BDT online, not BDTN online, BDTonline.com, and lawandcrime.com. Going to wait till you're done chugging. Making it's sure you're swallowing enough water, uh, swallowing enough air. Enough air with my water. Now I'm like super self-conscious. <laughs> Belching as I'm talking. How much air is like happening? <sighs> Wait, I might need to get some more water. Is this going to be a real bummer? I mean. Yeah. I'll take it's always snack. a bummer. Okay, I'm going to get some water. Okay. I almost did a totally obnoxious thing. I got a snack, but I didn't. I refrained. Oh, were you going to eat <laughs> chips? Great. This is a very podcast-friendly snack. I know. No, I was going to have some some toast <laughs> toast <laughs> not even just bread where you could just like mash it around your mouth Ew, You've been in that's the crunchiest not good bread it's not that toasted just a little <laughs> okay yeah ready okay mm-hmm. uh so families families come in all shapes and sizes all You're flavors family even thing. gross ones what wasn't the last one a family one? Of course. That one was like so I love sad, a good family yeah. story. This is the story of a family that I think is gross. Just plain yucky. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's set the scene. West Virginia. Enough said? Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, West Virginia. It's That's not your fault. Probably rude, and I'm sure there are some wonderful families in West Virginia. Lots I of heard lovely, it's really beautiful. Lovely family moments set to the lights. Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Lots of family moments set to the light strumming of a banjo or two, and maybe some spoons and a washboard. Remember Obviously. when we used to want to play the washboard? <laughs> we did play the washboard. We I don't know about you, but I like out of a washboard. pulled it on the washboard. <laughs> Damn. It was very no. loud. You know, we really, we could have taken off in our washboard career. I don't think we chose to stay humble. We practiced. No, no. We, we stayed humble and we 
decided not to make millions on our washboard duets. We still could. <laughs> I mean, we could always come back with the washboards, you know? Well, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a plan Actually, for another Actually, you time. couldn't because you just gave me yours. How so I'm going to do my own duet. Give me my dual washboard. washboard. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. Uh, oh, God. Oh, and one of those jugs that you can, like, blow across the top that's like, who, who, who. Yeah. Hoo. And then, like, that metal bucket that's upside down with this one string that you're like, dunk, 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 you know? No. You know, with, like, a, it's got, like, a... Uh, oh, okay. The big pole. Yeah, yeah. Like a broom handle, a string, and a wash tub thing. No. What? That big metal bucket that's like upside down and it's got yeah. like a broom handle and one string yeah. that goes down and you're like. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, obviously okay. you haven't been out to West Virginia very often, so. Uh, have you? It sounds like maybe you haven't. Never. I've never been to West Virginia. I don't know. You're like anything going about based it. off of the rescuers right now is what's happening. Uh. <laughs> Do you think that was based in West Virginia? No, that was Louisiana. They're in the bayou. They were in the bayou. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, classic adapt. Uh, classic depiction of the bayou. Wow, I didn't rescuers. realize that until just yeah, now. Yeah, they got alligators and. Yeah, yeah. You know, swamps That's and about shit. It. <laughs> swamps in West Virginia that I know about. I don't know. I should stop talking about West Virginia because yeah, I know nothing about it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, out in West Virginia lived a man who was about 55 named Larry Paul McClure Sr. You see, old Larry had recently been released from prison after serving time for being a sex offender. Oh, lovely. What was his offense? Well, nasty, disgusting Larry had been convicted in 1998 of first-degree sexual assault on a family member between the ages of 6 and 12. Oh, my God. At the same time... Why is he, he was, ever released? Because, you know, sex offenders only get, like, a slap on the wrist. Mm. Um, at the same time of his conviction, he had two daughters living with him. A uh, his daughter Amanda. How with, like what I? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm. Aren't you supposed to, like not be around children when you're? Well, a this was he child predator. Well, he had children before he was convicted. So. Well, I'm just saying they you don't get to go back, back to the household with the children. Well, he didn't. He didn't. He he was. He's like diddling a relative or whatever he did they, they didn't they weren't explicit of what he did but at the time that he was doing that he had two daughters living at home and then he oh, was right, convicted and sent to pri- sent to prison oh okay okay okay, okay. so Horrible. during that time his daughter amanda was nine and his daughter anna was 10 and they were, were living with him and then he went to prison and the Good. girls were then adopted and grew estranged from their father uh yeah mm-hmm so he was convicted for, uh, se- he served 17 and a half years, and then he was released on parole. Okay. On September 24th, 2019, state troopers, uh, they, they brought him in for questioning because he had violated the sex offender registry by failing to fill out the form that he had moved. Right. So they were like, hey, Mr., Come over here. You know what you did wrong. You're supposed to fill out the form, and you didn't. 
Right. And he was like, yeah, you're right. I didn't. Uh, I'm also, actually kind of amazed that someone, that they actually like. Yeah. yeah. T- like found out about it and like followed up on it. Yep. And as he was like in the questioning room, he was like, oh, uh, also I need to talk to like someone in the homicide department because I want to report a murder. Uh. Just real uh, casual, yeah, like, basically. while I'm here, I don't want to have while to make, like, I'm, another trip, yeah, you know? Might as, might as well kill two birds so, with one stone. if you got any homicide detectives in the back, just, yeah, you know. Yeah, bring them around, because I want to tell you about a uh, oh, murder God. that happened on February 14th, about seven months ago. And the troopers were like, what now? Excuse me? Okay, let's, let's check this out, see if what he's saying is true. And he was like, yeah, there's a, you'll find a dead body, like, and he told them where to find it. So they followed his tip, and they indeed found the remains of a murder victim. The victim was 38-year-old John McGuire, and he was found in a shallow grave dismembered at a Skygusky residence in McDowell County. Oh, my God. On Larry's property. Uh, okay. And uh, John, the murder victim, was a father of five who had planned to go to Alabama to visit his sick mother after taking a trip with his girlfriend. Okay. But he hadn't been heard from in months, and his family was like, we have a missing person. Like, they were looking for him. Okay. So the troopers arrested Larry and his two adult daughters, 31-year-old Amanda McClure and 32-year-old Anna Chaudry, for the murder. What? They were charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy, and concealment of a deceased human body. Was he living with them? Were they, like, living on his property? Well, let's go back in time to before yeah, the murder. let's. Let's. Hop with me in my time machine. Okay. <laughs> Back in oh, time. It's a fun time machine. Thanks. I made it myself. <laughs> um, okay. So before the murder, Amanda McClure lived with her boyfriend, John McGuire, the murder victim, uh, uh-huh. in Minnesota. Minnesota. Ah. Anna Chaudry was living in Indiana. And okay. Larry, who was recently released from prison, was in West Virginia. Somehow, Anna moved in with Larry at some point, and uh, so she was living in West Virginia with him during this time. Yikes. Not good. Uh, All three estranged family members had one thing in common. Uh Uh-oh. Meth. Uh, uh Uh-huh. They loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. I mean, you either love it or you hate it. (laughs) Um, somehow they all got in contact with each other, even though like Amanda and Anna hadn't spoken to their father since he was put away and they were adopted out, but somehow they all reconnected. And at one point, Amanda and John, they, they were, you know, all methed out and they were traveling in in a car that, one report said that it was like a stolen car, so that's why Uh-oh. they didn't like they didn't call like AAA or anything. They mm-hmm. they called they called Larry and they were like, "Hey, we're broken down somewhere in Indiana. We need a ride and meth because we are getting dope sick, and <laughs> oh, no. we need it." Oh 
Oh, no. Well, that, I mean, AAA doesn't bring meth. You can't call AAA and be like, I have a flat tire and I'm out of meth. Yeah, well, you never need I need that roadside assistance, please. It does not hurt to ask. <laughs> That's why they called good old Larry roadside Larry. assistance. Larry Barry. So Anna, for some reason, maybe the opportunity for more meth, decided to help too. So her and Larry got in Larry's truck and they drove to Indiana and they picked up Amanda and John and they were like, hey, you guys should come to West Virginia with us and stay on our property for a bit and we'll all just have a methy time. <laughs> and okay, so they all traveled together back to Larry's place in Skygusky. For about a week, everything went well. Everyone was getting along. Meth was had by all. No more being sick. Good times, mm-hmm. good times. They even had a fun family outing where they went to buy supplies oh. to make quote unquote quick meth. Where, like, apparently you don't have to set up, like, a lab. You just, like, put a bunch of household chemicals in a Gatorade bottle and shake it up until crystals Oh, form. yeah. Yeah, you could do that. There's also something where you can, like, I think you, like, spray something on, like, a screen. Mm-hmm. And then just, like, take all the solids just off Sounds or something. Great. I don't sounds know. Great. It's like, I don't think you're supposed to be putting that in your body. But Mm-mm. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so I just they, made some quick meth, and I, I like well, how you said Gatorade. Did you say Gatorade? Yeah. Yeah, they have the thicker bottles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. More durable. <laughs> so they uh, put their, they put the chemicals in, shook it up, let it sit, do what you got to do, or whatever. But uh, appara- according to Anna, the meth failed. No crystals formed, so it was just oh, like a no. jar of like household cleaner in a bottle. Failed chemistry project mm-hmm. there. And but apparently Amanda held on to the jar anyway, even though it wasn't gonna, like drink it. it. Didn't it didn't meth. Well, Anna maybe you need to give it some time. Maybe, maybe. it's not yeah, like quick meth. Not they actually ready. made the long meth. Uh, long meth. <laughs> Anna said that Larry had what she called a quiet rage and that he would occasionally Oh, that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. That like during the 10 days that they were all hanging out, he would occasionally pull Amanda to the side to have private conversations with her. So she thought that was a little strange, but she didn't think too deeply in it. I mean, I'm sure you don't really think too deeply when you're all methed out. But yeah, at some deep point... thoughts are not being had. <laughs> at some point in the mess of meth, of making bad meth... In the meth of in, meth. In the meth of meth and, and thigh talking... Uh, Larry asked Anna to go outside and cut some rope. Uh, okay. A request she didn't think too far into since he had requested requested it in the past when they were going to go haul scrap metal for money. So she was like... Oh, with their wagon? With their wagon. It all comes full circle. It's always about wagons and pudding. So sometime during this bonding time, John told Larry that he loved Amanda and was going to ask her to marry him. Wait, what bonding time? You know, they're all sitting around shaking bottles of meth. What happened to the rope? Well, in the meantime, she was out cutting rope. At some point during this time, John is like, Larry, I love your daughter. I want to marry her. Well... This didn't sit too well with Larry because, Uh cue the banjos, Larry had a thing for his daughter, (gasps) Amanda. That's right. His own biological daughter. 
Larry kept his feelings to himself for the time being. What a fucking creep. (laughs) He instead bought some steaks and potatoes and a bottle of wine for the family's Valentine's Day celebration. Because apparently in West Virginia, you have your Valentine's Day celebration with your family. Sure. Mm-hmm. Kiss and cousins. It's all about family. And- <laughs> After the meal, Anna says things started to get strange. Amanda- After the meal, not the whole fucking time they've been there. Nah, it's pretty on par for like a messy time. Well, that's what I mean. That's, like, strange. It's, bound it's not to be strange, strange for them. She said what was strange, though, was that Amanda was keeping the wine bottle close to her that evening, always making sure that it was within arm's reach. Oh. Then Larry said that he wanted to play a game. Uh, oh. And this happened after Amanda apparently had been joking about being able to get out of anything. She oh, like, no. Uh-uh. I, I can do Don't any play kind that of game. trap. Mm-mm. Yep. You nope. want to play? No, no, no. So Larry was like, let's play a trust game. No. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> so they took turns tying each other up and escaping the bindings. And, like, it was all good fun. And, like, you know, I Larry Larry was like, you guys game. don't know how to tie ropes, right? Like, I'm going to show you how to tie some knots that nobody can escape out of. I hate this. And so it was John's turn to try the trust game. And Larry tied up John's feet and then sat down on the couch and smiled. And Anna said, it was a grin that I'll never be able to describe. Oh, God. She went on to say, but as John sat up and bent over to untie his feet, it all happened so quick. Amanda stood up and grabbed the bottle and bashed him over the back of the head with it. (gasps) And the next thing I know, John had reared up and was leaning back against the wall, holding his head. And that's when Larry looked at me and told me if I knew it was best for my children and wanted them to live, I would follow all instructions that were given to me from that moment on. Wait, she has children? Apparently. I don't know where they are. What the fuck? (laughs) Larry and Amanda tied John up so he couldn't escape. And then Larry... uh, uh, during this time, Larry stood on John while Amanda accused him of being a federal informant, demanding oh, no. to know who he really was and who he worked for. Oh, no. John kept pleading with well, them to let him go. Well, that's the thing about meth is it's going to make <laughs> you paranoid. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John, so he kept pleading with them, telling them that he had the wrong, they had the wrong person, and he didn't know what they were talking about or who they were looking for, but it wasn't him. Yeah. He even gave them his social security number and begged for his life. Oh, God. And then what? They're going to look it up how? Like, what? I I don't know. But she was like, nope, you're a fed. I know you're a fed because, like, one time she was, uh, she was put in jail for, like, a drug offense. And he was able to, like, get someone to, to, I don't even know, like, to get her out or pay the bond or something. And then she took that as, like, oh, well, you know people in the system. You can get me out. So, like, you obviously are a fed. Right. Obviously. During this time, Anna made attempts to leave, but Larry and Amanda both blocked her exit each time. Um, the torture and yelling continued until 6 a.m. Oh, my then God. Then Larry and Amanda 
grabbed the hogtied John and brought him into a bedroom, saying that they were going to inject him with sodium pentothal, a.k.a. (laughs) Where did they get that? (laughs) To get the answers they were looking for. Oh, my God. They told him that they would put him in the truck and drive him back to Minnesota and leave him there for everybody to find once they got the truth. Amanda, okay. Amanda then entered the room with two full syringes. Oh, God. Unbeknownst to Anna, the syringes were full of the bad meth. Wait, what? They weren't sodium pentothal? <laughs> that is so shocking. Shocking. And oh, wow, no. she's a liar. God. Um, Anna said, they told me since I was the one with nursing experience, I was going Uh-oh. to be the one to inject him. And they gave me the syringes and instructed me to inject him in the carotid artery. What? <laughs> After Larry threatened the lives of Anna's children, she did as she was told and injected the household chemicals into John's artery. Oh, my God. As the three of them were leaving the bedroom, Anna, 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 Amanda commented that that should be enough to kill him. But instead so of casual. But instead of killing him, the bad meth woke John the fuck up and gave him superhuman strength. I was going to say, turn him into a superhero. <laughs> what the fuck? So they... Guess it wasn't that bad after all, huh? So Larry and Amanda had to wrestle him down. Larry stood on his back and Amanda held a black trash bag over his head. While Anna says, they stood over me and told me I need to finish it and and needed to strangle him. So that's what I did. She placed a note. She placed a rope around his neck and pulled hard. Oh, God. She said that while... She was strangling him. Amanda sat near his head, laughing, asking him, did he really believe he was going to end up back north? The fuck? Um, yeah. Anna then told, Anna was then told to collect all of John's belongings and put them on a bonfire that they had prepared earlier. When she returned from doing that, she was told to wrap up the body and put it in a garbage bag because... Larry wanted to drop it down a mine shaft where it wouldn't be found. Oh, Jesus. She said that during the time that she stuffed the body into, into the bag, he, the body was in the stages of rigor mortis. So oh she had to like basically break his arms and legs to fit into the bag. This is brutal. She said that Larry and Amanda instructed her on what to do as they sat back and watched. They then loaded the body into the back of the truck and drove around all day looking for somewhere to dump the body, but they couldn't find anywhere that they thought was suitable, so then they just drove back to Larry's place and started digging a hole. They couldn't find an empty mine shaft in West Virginia? Apparently not. Come on. (laughs) Come on. During this time, Larry and Amanda basically acted like nothing had happened and began making plans for the future. Fun. About two weeks later, Amanda demanded Anna unbury John because she was convinced that he was somehow still alive. Uh, meth. (laughs) Anna did as she was told, and Larry said that 
uh, he would make sure John stayed dead. So he took rebar and an old bed frame that was metal and like pulled the bars out. And then he drove these metal bars with a sledgehammer through John's body, essentially pinning him to the ground like one of those bugs with the pins that the people that like bugs have, you know. Right. Well, you know, there is a concern that he could come back to life. And now that he is pinned to his own little display case, clearly. Yeah, he can come back to life, but he's not getting up. Three and a half weeks after. (laughs) Yes. Three and a half weeks after the Valentine's Day murder of John. Larry and Amanda traveled across the state line to neighboring Tazewell County, Virginia, where they applied for a marriage license. What the fuck? <laughs> what? The marriage license shows that the two were wed on March 11th by a United Methodist Church minister of the gospel. Ha, ha, ha. United <laughs> Meth. Meth. <laughs> <laughs> All three were present. Anna says that they took her along and instructed her to act like a happy witness. <laughs> I mean, it is the happiest day of their lives. It is. They can finally be married. The this marriage is license. So fucking horrible. <laughs> the marriage license shows that Anna McClure listed the name of another man, not Larry McClure, as her father, and she also used her. Um, she used another last name. I don't know if it was her adopted last name or say, it was like someone else's. She just like had a different last name. You have uh, to put your parents on your marriage license. Apparently, maybe in Virginia, so you're not. So marrying you can make your sure they're not, not marrying, marrying your, your father because it's apparently it's a law that you're not allowed to marry your family members. I think second cousins are okay, but like, you, it's illegal to marry like your immediate family members. I mean, as it should be. As it should be. Tazewell County Sheriff Brian Hiat said, The marriage of a father and daughter is illegal in Virginia. The crime is a misdemeanor offense punishable by up to six months in jail. Once they got back from the courthouse, the couple consummated their marriage. No, why? The newlywed couple made plans to move to Kentucky, where Larry was originally from. Fun. But the thing is, like, they didn't want to leave immediately because Larry kind of wanted to spruce up the property and do some landscaping to prepare it for sale. And there were obviously fears that the new owners would find the body. So the three of them once again dug up John's remains and they dismembered him and then buried. So gross. Buried the parts in two separate places, still on the property. I just feel like, <laughs> like, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have a bear, if you have a body in one place, mm-hmm. I feel like there's less likelihood of someone finding it than if they're like scattered yeah, pieces I mean, about. Because then chances are, if you dig somewhere, you know, you would assume the odds go up the more spaces there are. But remember, they've got meth mind. Meth. Troopers, this is when troopers picked Larry up for failing to report a change of address in the sex offender registry. And then that's when he just blurted out that he and his daughters had murdered a man. 
The three of them were arrested and charged after the discovery of John's remains. You mean he and his daughter, wife, and daughter? Yes. Mm-hmm. Daughter, wife, dad, husband. That's right. Yep. Yeah, he clearly messed them up. <laughs> <laughs> so in court, Amanda played the I didn't mean to card. And How she started. Not mean to? <laughs> she started the hearing by asking the court for mercy and apologizing to John's family. She said, I have to look at myself every day. My family didn't raise me to be this way. Uh, clearly they did. Oh, not your adoptive family? Yeah. Uh-oh. I've not only hurt John's family, but I've hurt my own family. Amanda's adoptive parents spoke to the court. Her adoptive dad said, I want to apologize on our behalf. I can't imagine what she, meaning John's mother, is going through. He then asked the court to consider the bad influence of Larry... That, that Larry had on Amanda and asked the court to possibly reevaluate her sentence in a couple years. I mean, on the one hand, he clearly messed her up to the mm, point where she thought mm. it was okay to marry her father. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. She had said that, like, something like... um she told Larry that she had known since she was a little girl that she was going to marry him one day. Yeah, he clearly... Which, I'm like... Is a monster. I I didn't find anywhere that it said it, but I'm going to bet that he molested his daughters. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to... Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a really short limb here and yeah, say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this, this family tree doesn't have too many limbs, so I'm just gonna it's a very shimmy up. I'm gonna shimmy up the the stump and uh, right up that stock. I'm gonna guess, guessing a uh, yeah. So he clearly messed them up from the beginning, but she yeah. did bring her boyfriend over and was like, "We should probably kill him because I want to marry my dad." Uh, yeah. John's mom commented. I just really want to know why she thought she could be God and take my kid. She broke my heart and my grandkids' hearts. They cry every night for their daddy. I hope that she has a good heart and goes and gets straight with the Lord before she passes. She and her sister and her daddy are going straight to hell, and I'm going to heaven. Ha <laughs> so there. <laughs> Suck what? <it. laughs> oh, my God. She doesn't have to get right with the Lord. She has to get right with her children. Like, uh. what the fuck? At that, Amanda replied, Mrs. Smith, the only answer I could give you as to why things happened is John was with me. My daddy didn't want anyone else near me. John told Larry that he loved me and we were going to get married. I wish I could bring John back. He was a good man. Even though you fucking didn't believe that he was really who he said he was and you're the one who bashed him in the head and you're the one who came up with a murder plan with your dad, husband. Well, it seems like her dad had a lot of control over her. Excuse me, dad husband. Dad husband had a lot of control <laughs> over her and clearly like could convince her of all kinds of crazy shit. Plus, if she's on like a substance like meth where yeah. you're not in touch with reality, the shared no. reality, uh, yeah, I, I feel like he probably was able to convince her of all kinds of crazy shit. 
Yeah, during the testimony, Amanda alluded to control her father had over her, which brought her to McDowell, McDowell County. She said, I still don't know where Sky Gusky is, which is what? where they were, which is where Larry's home was. She was like, yeah, I don't know. He just drove. He took us there. I don't even know where he where we were. Oh, okay. Amanda had a 32-page long criminal history, which was mostly drug-related. Yeah. The judge acknowledged that there had been a history of abuse to Amanda by Larry in the past, but that there was no excuse for taking John's life. Yeah. The judge sentenced her to 40 years for second-degree murder, which was the maximum he could charge for second-degree murder. The judge told her that if this case had gone to trial, oh, because they, they were pleading, they got okay, a plea yeah. deal. So if it had gone to trial, he said that she would have been convicted of first degree murder. He said mm-hmm. the plea deal was favorable to her and that he does not believe she is taking adequate responsibility for the murder as she blamed her father husband. Um, Anna Chaudhry pled, pled guilty to second degree murder. And she also, I believe, got 40 years. And then Larry wrote a confession letter. Fun. He wrote that he didn't want to waste the taxpayer's money on a trial or, or hurt either of his or the McGuire families more than they already had been hurt. He's just, like, so considerate. He's so nice. He said, yeah. All I can do is hope for mercy on this, but my sentence on this really does not matter because I'm old and in bad health. I will never live to see the parole board in 15 years anyway, and that's okay. So he pled guilty, no contest to the crimes, and he says that Amanda was the ringleader of the murder and says Uh, that he... Bullshit! He says he didn't know what the motive was, but suggested that she just wanted John's social security checks. And uh, I guess there was evidence that she was cashing his checks until she got caught. And then well, he yeah, said... Yeah, but it's yeah. not like... I don't know. It's not like the dad wasn't benefiting. Right. He got a wife. And then he said that he was sorry for his part in the crime to both his family and John's family. <laughs> okay. And uh that's all I have about this uh well, what did he get? Oh. Well, in his words, he basically got the death sentence cuz he's not going to live 15 more years even though he's basically. only 50. Whatever. I wonder why he confessed in the first place. I don't know. It was so random like they were ba- um the the like troopers and stuff were basically like he would have gotten away with it if he didn't say anything because we didn't even know that the guy was missing here or that he even came Maybe to our he county. Was tired of being married to his daughter, so he was like, "Well, like a week later, the he's only like, way to get, get out of the it. fuck out of here." <laughs> yeah, it could be, or it could be the thing where it's like that's how he could have most control over the situation is he's yeah. the one that tells, and then potentially like he could get a lighter sentence because he. Mm. Told, or uh, if his, if um, the guy's family reported him missing, maybe he was like, it's only a matter of time before before they're gonna 
get me. So if they I jump the gun, me. then they're going to... Okay, yeah. So Larry was sentenced to life in prison without mercy. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was sentenced to life. The daughters were, got 40 years each, but the judge was basically like, you're probably going to end up serving half that time and then be paroled or whatever. But... Mm. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I just... Yeah, I just... I feel like he destroyed the lives of his children and probably other children. Yeah, and his daughter's boyfriend and his and, and his, his whole family. Yeah. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. Yeah, I definitely think that Larry scrambled the eggs of Anna and Amanda at a young yeah. age, then abandoned them. And then, like, prison. re-traumatized them by coming back into their lives. And then married one of them. Uh, that's icky. Mm, it's disgusting. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> he is a horrible piece of shit, yeah. Who, like, deserves to be rotting in prison forever. He never should have been let out. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yup. No, if you, I just, yeah, if you like hurt children, there's a high likelihood that you're not going to stop hurting children when you have access to children. So. Mm -hmm. And there's literally no way to avoid children on the outside. Yeah. Ugh. So, uh,. Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't find much information on his background, really, or, like, m their backgrounds, um, other than he was a child molester and was put in prison, and they were probably molested by him, and they got some weird kind of family dynamic, traumatized yeah. and abused, and then they get looped back into it, especially being all methed out, so. Yeah, well, that's another way to exert power and control over people. Mm-hmm. It's like supply them with drugs. Yep. Mm. Isn't that, that a wonderful tale? That was horrible. A beautiful family and That was some a fucking real... horrible story, thing. <laughs> Some real American family values. It's beautiful. Uh, so we both ugh. did ones that were like based in the South. Well, yeah, Ish. West Virginia is not really the South, but it could. I be. consider it the in spirit South. It's got a Southern it's spirit. So it's like South. Is it? Yeah. Well, let's not look at a map. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're their own thing, but I always thought of them as South. I don't know. I mean, if it sounds like a banjo, it's probably a banjo. Right? Stop it. <laughs> they're being so offensive. They know. They know. <laughs> well, you want to do a criminy sakes? And now for the portion that we like to call Crime and Sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime 
that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Well, it's going to take like five minutes. Oh, do you minutes. have some? I have one. Okay. Just to wrap up our uh, redneck uh, oh, God, country stop. bumpkins. I got this one from lex18.com, which I'm guessing is some kind of news station. Sure. Kentucky is getting international attention for a recent five-day party billed as a redneck rave. What? (laughs) What does that even look like? Dozens of people were arrested or cited. Blue Holler Off-Road Park in Edmondson County hosted last week's event that organizers said would feature mud, music, and mayhem. It was mayhem for sure. The sheriff told WNKY that 14 people were arrested and another 34 (gasps) were cited on criminal charges that ranged from assault and strangulation (gasps) to drug and alcohol possession. One man reportedly had his throat slit (gasps) and a woman was allegedly choking until she was losing consciousness in a fight over a blanket. What the fuck? Fuck! That's not a rave. It's a fucking brawl. What the fuck? Some who attended reported accidental injuries that included one person who was impaled by a log <gasps> that that pierced the floorboard of his vehicle. Whoa! The organizers posted on Facebook they plan to improve on the the things that happened at this event and make and make the one scheduled for October even what? better. What? What the hell? That is not a rave at all. That's like a fucking... Mayhem. I don't even know what that is. That's mud, music, and mayhem. Who would go the to the next rave. one? <laughs> How would you prevent someone getting like from getting impaled or strength? Like, what? <laughs> Over a blanket. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh... So good. That Love the South. Insane. I have one more, and then I have okay. to find more for next time because I'm out. This one is okay. from the New York Post. It says, these two, these two men have earned the dubious distinction of being named Florida's dumbest thieves of the week. Robert Hobby, 41, and Marcus Reeves, 23, are clearly not the sharpest tools in the shed, making it a cinch for cops to track them down by leaving a few items behind after their alleged crime spree. Now, being a thief already makes you dumb, but that, doesn't, but that isn't why they are this week's dumbest criminals by Marion County Sheriff's Office said on its Facebook page. You see, these two, these two went on a burglary spree inside the city limits of Ocala and... Out here in the con- in the county, it said, they were breaking into convenience stores, stealing cigarettes and lottery tickets. But while doing this, they were smoking cigarettes inside the stores while the cameras were watching. But that isn't st- that still isn't the best part because we didn't need the cameras to identify them. You see, when they left the stores, they left their shoe. One shoe, apparently. Their tools, oh. and Marcus left his wallet with his driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> it added. How do you leave a shoe? I don't know. I mean, Wait, well, that you always your wallet it, out when you're breaking in. Well, that always is like, wh- why do you always see like a shoe laying on the side of the road? What are people doing? I feel like that's gonna be my uh, master's project, just finding out what's happening with that shoe situation. The lost souls. <laughs> 
reunite the lost souls with their masters. Don't give away my title. Oh, well, scratch that. Cut that out. Cut it out. It added, so we went to his house and knocked on the door. He confessed, and both were arrested and are now in the Gold Star Hotel, which I'm guessing is Don't you have to confess at that point? It wasn't me. It was the uh, identical twin. It's like Cinderella. It's like, oh, do you have (laughs) the the other shoe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Uh, thanks for listening, y'all. And check out Humble Bee Herbal and all their products. Get yourself something nice. Check us out at Crimedy Podcast at Gmail. What? I mean, don't check us out. Send I us don't mail. Know. Send us information. Send us stories. Send us critiques. I told whatever you, I'm you want. I need to at cr- at Crimedy Podcast at Gmail dot com. Yeah. Um, and yeah, check out Humble Bee Herbal at humblebeeherbal.com. Use code Crimedy twenty. Rate, review, subscribe, guys. Come on, support us. Come on. We're really trying here. Please. uh, We're just doing this for free and for fun, and we're desperate for someone to say anything. Send us something. Tell us. Send us. Do something. Please. Give us, like, encouragement, even. We need some kind of feedback. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. We love you. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.